Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Were you offended by the apparent insinuations in the president's tweets this morning? It was a sexist smear attempting to silence my voice. And I will not be silenced on this issue. Neither will the women who stood up to the president yesterday, and neither will the millions of women who have been marching since the Women's March to stand up against policies they do not agree with. Uh, these allegations are credible. They are numerous. The only reason I'm here today is because this offender is now the president of our country. Unfortunately, this behavior isn't rare in our society, and people of all backgrounds can be victims. I think he should immediately resign, uh, and if he doesn't, we should have the investigation. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan and I'm here with... Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick. Dahlia Lithwick is in the studio with me today and we are going to talk about the accusations of sexual harassment abuse against the president. We're going to see what kind of merit those charges have and whether they might be something that we could use to remove the president, because that's all anyone wants. Let's um, say their names, Virginia. Let's yeah, just say yeah. their names. Summer Reservos, Jill, Hearth, there's so many. Temple Taggart, Natasha Stoinoff. I think it's so important. These are people, and they yeah. had this press conference, yes. and they bravely told their stories. So let's say that. Keep going. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Jessica Drake, Samantha Holvey, Jessica Leeds, Rachel Crooks, who all appeared this week. Uh, With Megan Kelly. Megan Kelly. Who's also been publicly harassed by the president. Um, there's Bridget Sullivan. She was a former Miss New Hampshire, my home state, a runner-up for Miss USA. She said that Trump would, like, basically hug, touch you on the small of your back, you know, unsolicited, and also walk through the dressing rooms while the contestants were undressed. Melinda McGillivray, who last year said that Trump groped her at Mar-a-Lago Mar in 2003. Did you mention uh, um, Natasha Stoinoff? She, I did. But... Okay, yep. That was 2005. She said that she had a kiss forced on her, and Trump proposed an affair with her, and— we have no reason for thinking these things didn't happen. Right. I mean, these are, these are you know, women who have been willing to come forward and tell their stories time and time again, some of them over the course of a years. Uh, and these are women that, in some cases, Trump denies ever having met them. Poor Jacob Weisberg. We're going to bring him in. Yeah, Jacob Weisberg <laughs> is going to have to answer for the patriarchy. I have a lot of questions for him. <laughs> I'm going to have, I'm going to do like from Adam and Eve to now. I would think so. Tell us about men, Jacob. I think we should bring him in here. <laughs> All right, excellent. <laughs> uh, we'll be back in a minute with Jacob Weisberg. Of course, Dahlia Lithwick is here, and we're going to have a roundtable discussion of this fascinating topic of the president and sexual harassment right after the break. I am in the studio, the Slate studio in Brooklyn today with Jacob Weisberg, 
inventor of Trumpcast. Hi, Virginia. <laughs> and Dahlia Lithwick. These two are some of my favorite pals. Hi, Virginia. So what we're going to talk about today is everybody's favorite upper seasonal topic, which is sexual harassment and abuse by the president. And um, we had Walter Schaub on the show yesterday who said he doesn't think there's any redress for this. So anyone who hoped that there was going to be a big Harvey Weinstein takedown and that he would lose his job and that he would lose his standing and that he would resign and that his wife would leave him and he would be shipped off to exile somewhere is dreaming. What do you, what do you think, Dahlia? Because you know how these things work. What's the What do you do about a, pres- a president like this who's ethically out of bounds, but it just seems like he can't be touched. Yeah, I, I feel like my answer to every single question for the past two years has been norms. norms. Uh, n- not Norm Eisen, uh, not Norm in Cheers, but just, <laughs> you know, there there aren't laws to fix everything. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, there was a norm that if you sexually assaulted a whole bunch of people, you didn't get to win the presidency. Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's a problem of, you know, Harvey Weinstein and other people in other fields. There are mechanisms of removal, including shaming, but including, you know, private decisions made by uh, private entities to get rid of people. We don't have that <laughs> for the president. Yeah. We have a norm of people should turn on someone like this. And then the question is, OK, that norm has been violated. I think it's fairly clear that there isn't a, a legal fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, watching the press conference this week with these accusers was unbelievable to hear the degree of resignation that they had. They're mm. like, no judge would hear this. You know, this it's been too long. I mean, they have no hopes that the law is going to fix this. And so I think what they want is some kind of public political reckoning, not a legal one and not even an ethics one. Um, I don't know why, but my mind slides all over the place in this. I don't know what the charge is. So some of these, so the president, as we know, in a very long deposition, a lot of a forced interrogation technique said that he likes to grab women by the pussy. It was basically like the Central Park joggers, like they really forced that confession out of him. Um, so we don't even know, you know, what he, how he was being influenced. Anyway, he says he likes to grab him by the pussy. I think Jacob and I at the time, you know, lo these many months ago, talked about that Access Hollywood tape and we're saying this sounds like something no one actually physically does. Well, it turns out in the testimony of some of his accusers, he actually does seem to slide his hand up skirts unbidden and touch like women's labia. Like it just very, very strange. Dahlia, by the way, balked at that. I thought that was like kind of clinical and <laughs> no, good. good. For, first use of that term on, on this <laughs> podcast, I think. <laughs> well, the woman uses the word vagina, which yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. I thought was sort of. So is that assault? Like, why isn't that just a straight up crime? No, I mean, I think that the the range of things we're hearing, I, Jacob, I think, has better data than I. I. I have 15 women have come forward. I think you have 17, right? So I, I, I think that the the range is people who are actually alleging assault. Yeah. Some people alleging lewd behavior. Some people saying this is just harassment. Some of the women who have come forward are saying, I just saw things that other people were the victims of. So I, I think the, the range is, is massive. Yeah. There's no doubt that, I mean, certainly grabbing somebody— even we knew that after the Access Hollywood uh, video that that was assault being described. I think Republicans, uh, Senate Republicans, were openly calling it assault. Yeah. But some of these were many years ago. There's statute of limitations. There are obviously evidentiary issues. There are, you know, there's the, the presumption of presidential immunity until after the presidency is over, um, although that there is the Paula Jones case, the precedent for that. But, I mean, I think what's, you know, what's interesting about this is – most of this was aired before the election, not that long ago, a little bit over a year ago. 
and the country elected him anyway. But the context has dramatically changed in the last few months. And we have had a kind of consciousness revolution around sexual harassment in which powerful men are being taken down on a daily basis, often on the basis of accusations of much less than Trump has Mm -hmm. been credibly accused of. And there's a range of accusations among these 15 or 17 or 19 women, depending on your cottage, which go from sneaking a peek at the naked Miss Teen USA contestants, who were, by the way, as young as 15, all the way up to something that is sounds like sexual assault. And all of that looks very different now. And it also, if you think, well, wait a minute, Al Franken just had to resign for behavior that was bad, mm. but not classic harassment behavior and not even apparently making passes at people. And and so many of these Trump cases are so much worse than, say, what Al Franken was accused of in total mm-hmm. that you kind of think, well, isn't there something now that everyone's woken up to this a bit? We can do about it. And I tend to agree with you, Dahlia, that, that legally this isn't a basis for impeachment. These were prior crimes. I mean, unless there's some sort of impeachment trip, trap like what they got Bill Clinton for where he lies under oath in you know if one of these cases goes forward. But I have to say politically, if the Democrats controlled the House and Senate right now, they would be holding an investigation, wouldn't mm-hmm. they? Of, of course. And I, I let's like realize there is litigation going on. There is this summer Zervos case is, you know, being there's a question, I think, exactly what you're saying. Under, under, the, she was the contestant on The Apprentice. On The Apprentice. And there were several alleged uh, claims that she she's brought forward. So I think that you know, there there is a question, an open question that a judge is going to have to resolve here in New York about whether uh, this case can go forward. And I think all they're really doing right now is seeking documents. But I, so I think that there is at least a question about whether some of this can get resolved through litigation. But I think you're quite right. It's a, a heavy lift uh, to get the president into court uh, over this. But I think that the thing that you're saying, Jacob, that I'm so conflicted about is on the one hand, it's true we're in this amazing water shed Me Too moment. Mm-hmm. We are aware in a way that we weren't aware six months ago uh, that there are real consequences and that men do this and that predation, you know, is prevalent in every field we're learning uh, week by week. And at the same time, stop and think about the fact that Alabama, by a very slim margin, just defeated someone who was an open and notorious alleged sexual predator of young girls. Yeah. So there's a way in which I, I always feel that there's this it either means we're all woke or it means that we were woke for five seconds and we're already moving on and bored. You know, that that like, eh, we forgave half of Alabama, forgave Al, uh, uh, Roy Moore, and clearly half of the American electorate didn't have a problem with Donald Trump. And so I'm never sanguine about yeah. saying maybe we've kind of finally turned this corner. We thought we finally turned this corner with Anita Hill, remember? And mm. we didn't. We're, we're possibly further back than but we I, know. But I can yeah. spin that in the other direction. I mean, Roy Moore lost in Alabama, which is one of the most right. backward-thinking states in, in the country about this kind of stuff. And and I kind of <laughs> feel— <laughs> sip it. <laughs> you don't say backward-thinking <laughs> about our neighbors to the south. We tell yeah. it like about it an is. entire <laughs> state. We, take, we, take your, <laughs> we tell it like it is on this show. We call that rural. Yeah. Um, the— uh, uh, Anyway, but you know, I think I kind of want to talk about it again now that people care, and maybe yeah. not everybody cares, but it seems to me a, a given that a lot more people care about it a lot more than they did 
in October right. 2016. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Would would it produce a different outcome to the election if this were now? Yeah, I kind of think so. You know, hmm. um, I you know, the thing of if people didn't turn to gun control after uh, Sandy Hook, then they never will. And I think the idea that partisanship trumped everything, every single concern stopped with this particular Harvey Weinstein and then the Me Too thing, which was like, we have, we as Democrats have everything to lose from losing Al Franken in the Senate. And he was, I mean, I think one of the best interrogators uh, on Trump Russia, you know, a real cornerstone. And, you know, ultimately, my ethics considerations for women he's worked with actually did trump my politics there. And you can see it with Republicans with Roy Moore. Like, it takes so much to vote against your party. And finally, there was something, not country, not fear of treason, not, you know, all these other things that we wanted people to put decide on, honesty, togetherness. It was just don't molest girls, you know, and that became that and that became a reason for people to cross lines and lots of Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, refused to endorse Roy Moore. So it does seem like we finally got like a nuplus ultra of well if you do this, then we stop act thinking as we start thinking as humans and not as Republicans or Democrats. I hope that's right. I hate being the grumpy old guy in the balcony, you know, that Muppet. But I, I feel like <laughs> it I'm always like, comes back to the Muppet side. I'm just listening yeah. to you guys with the rainbows and the unicorns. And all I'm thinking is, you know, that the vast majority of white women in Alabama, presumably all of whom were 14-year-old girls right. once, uh, had no problem pulling the lever for this guy. And thank God for black women in Alabama and other, uh, you know, the other folks who said, you know, this is uh, a bridge to far. But I I do worry, and I think that this is so hugely inflected by it wasn't white women in Alabama. It was white evangelical women in Alabama. You know, it's a really interesting sub story here about how I think this may have less to do with party and more to do with faith. Yeah. And really interesting developments in the last day or two in thinking about how the evangelical movement might suffer for this and how they're going to have to revisit how they approach this. Mm -hmm. But I do think that to me, you know, again, the idea that by a hair, uh, Roy Moore is defeated and that women go to the polls and say, you know, I'm I would have been proud right. if it were my daughter. Like, right. it's, it's kind of beyond my comprehension. And I think if we can be comfortable with right. that, then how can we be saying we're at a watershed moment? I don't know. I'm, I'm just the grumpy old guy. Well, so I, I think I've brought this up on the show before, but right after the presidential election, um, I was fooling around on Facebook, and that was in a day where I had a bunch of Trumpites as friends on Facebook. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we've fallen out. One of them, I said that, you know, I was afraid of North Korea, and one of them said, better nuclear winter than more letters in LGBTQ. And I, you know, I hope it's everything they dreamed when we're all peeling radiation our skin off but in any case better okay you win grumpy guy <laughs> no 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 but but here's the point so no let more letters in lgbtq we want liberal tears liberal tears come first we'd rather piss off north korea we'd rather you know anything to make liberals cry and i do feel like there's a little bit and incidentally i think that tactically whether they intended it or not jody Cantor did the original rep- and megan Tuey did the original reporting on Harvey Weinstein, and then Kristen Gillenbrand, who, you know, came out for Al Franken's head first, by going for Democrats first, by saying, you know, this sexual harassment is no respecter of professions, no respecter of policies, no respecter. It's abuses of power by men, mostly men in power, all men in power. 
and it can happen anywhere, going after those two guys first said, this is an ethical standard that is independent even of our party politics. And guns isn't that. And, uh, you know, abortion isn't that. And All right. But I mean, Virginia, I think, you know, to, to Dahlia's point about how much of a revolution we've had. Yeah. The, what happens in a revolution is not that everyone on the losing side suddenly agrees with the revolution. Right. It is where the where the power lies. And I think there has been a real shift in power from the perpetrators to the victims. And it's it's at a very early stage still. I mean, mm. we've in the media, we've experienced kind of, you know, we're, we're probably past the halfway point in the media, you know, on Wall Street. Are they past the halfway point? <laughs> Keep dreaming, point? Jacob. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're um, flashing. <laughs> we're still going to get you for the your last, flash. The last man in media. That'll be me. Um, <laughs> Uh, not all media men. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, but, um, not all media men. But, you know, but there are other, but in, in the corporate world, I mean, I think this is, you know, just sort of maybe beginning or not even beginning yet in certain other fields and professions. That's okay. I think it's going to happen. I think the revolution is real. That doesn't mean that evangelical voters in Alabama have a different worldview tomorrow. But mm. it means that the that the standard of what's acceptable nationally does shift. And look, I think, Trump triggered it. Yeah. I mean, I think Trump's getting away with this in November yes. 2016 yes. is a big part of why we're here right now. Absolutely. And I and that's why I also think, you know, I think I've said this before, that the prosecutions both in the media and, uh, you know, with lawyers of all these different men is proxy and practice for this other thing, which is, you know, even if the Gillibrand effort to get, you know, have Trump face these charges again amounts to nothing— this idea of abuses of power that are just intolerable uh, is something that I think we're alert to with this with this president. I, one more thing about evangelicals. The American Catholic Church has really clawed its way back awkwardly and terribly from the widespread sexual abuse and the, you know, the spotlight stories at the Boston Globe that revealed it. And there are mechanisms in place for ensuring that the complicity machine is, you know, t- dismantled and that kids are protected. And, you know, it's not like we've never done this before. Like institutions get corrupt and one of the signs of their corruption and Congress may be that way. The media may be that way. Hollywood may be that way. You know, where powerful people are held to account and need to be transparent about their actions and don't enlist other people in keeping their secrets. And these are, you know, these are the like... They're all Trump's playbook enacted, you know, at Miramax, at various institutions, including, you know, ones you did not expect. We were talking about NPR and PBS yesterday. And and, and this same thing could happen in the in the evangelical churches. Well, that's a really interesting question. I mean, the, you know, the Catholic Church was was really worried about what would happen mm-hmm. to its adherence and its ability to attract followers mm-hmm. around the world, particularly in this country, if it didn't deal with this. The evangelical movement seems not to be. And I think what that points to is a kind of category error where we think of evangelicals as a religious group Mm -hmm. when, in fact, it's a political group. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a a great book that I think is called The um, Tragedy of the Evangelical Mind, uh, written by an evangelical theologian some years ago, which is basically how the how evangelical Christianity gave itself over to politics. That was a few decades ago. Right. You know, it has gone so far in that direction that it seems actually impervious to any kind of ethical or religious thinking. And it is only about cultural 
uh, politics and ideology, political ideology. Yeah. And I it's mean, interesting because yeah. I, I just think, you know, where I'm seeing this playing out is at the Judiciary Committee, these hearings for these mm. judges who are just being frog marched through. I mean, we've never seen this. Donald Trump yesterday broke the record yeah. of how many circuit court nominees he got. It used to be 11 uh, in the first year oh, for yeah. JFK uh, and Nixon. Now it's 12 and Obama right. got three circuit court nominees in his first year. So, I mean, we're seeing all (laughs) land speed records being broken. And the thing that is so interesting is if you look at where, you know, these nominees are getting pushed through, they're all radically anti-Roe. They're radically anti-gay mm. marriage. You know, somebody who uh, was pulled back, which never happens, mm. uh, had said that trans children are, you know, Satan's plan uh, mm. in earlier in his career. These are the kinds of people uh, that are being pushed. And there is a way in which, and I just think it's so important, you know, mm. the, we, we, we keep forgetting that of the 20 percent of the American population that ranked the Supreme Court as their number one issue in the mm-hmm. 2016 election, 20 percent. By two to one margins, they went for Trump. They went for Trump Mm. because of Roe, because of same-sex marriage. So I think that sort of threaded into this conversation, every one of these judges who is coming up is so strongly in the tank for reversing Obergefell, reversing Roe. This is the project. But what they really care about is abortion and guns Mm -hmm. and probably to a lesser extent— gay marriage, right? Do you agree? Or are those three kind of, is that a triad? I think it's a triad. And I also think, you know, guns are the sidecar. I, I do hmm. think that the culture war is more about Roe and Obergefell and this idea that the state has commandeered people of faith into doing things that, you know, violates their conscience. And I think that, you know, it's not an accident these are all coming up as speech cases, right? The baker, the cake baker case is a speech case. Yeah. You know, I think that that's just a really interesting way in which it feels like an encroachment on who I am. Yeah. And that that's the language and that it's kind of seeped into the conversation around what judges do and what the judiciary has to do to get fixed. Right. What we need to do to get the court back. This is explicitly, in my view, an explicitly religious conversation. You know, I I agree with you. And I also think just to remind us what our topic is today, oh, yeah. are, right. are these charges <laughs> of sexual abuse and harassment against the president? Um, but, but, but it's germane because I, I think Yasha Monk or someone else on the show said that, you know, fomenting discord between between the genders, among the genders, if we include <laughs> true gender, our gender fluid brothers and sisters, um, you just lost a thousand more votes in <laughs> Alabama. You're, you're Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the war, right? If we're talking about the war between the genders, then we are talking about abortion, and you know, so evangelicals are carrying this banner of the sort of the unreformed, unreconstructed. It's just politics, no ethical standards, no this abortion thing used to put women in their places, and voting just on the Supreme Court. I mean, it it's just gender anxiety, isn't it? I well, don't know. That was a lot. But I, I, I mean, you know, if we have these voters who care so much about abortion in particular that they're willing to support a child molester for office. Right. They're willing to to overthrow all of their other supposed convictions to support Donald Trump. You have to ask, is there some accommodation we could come to that would give these people a chance to climb down. And I actually think there is a little bit of one. And I think it is that the Democrats should not change their party position on abortion one whit, but they should allow pro-life Democrats in the South. I mean, I think only pro-life Democrats are going to have any realistic chance of winning a lot of these elections. 
And I think the party should be able to to live with them. I mean, I think that's a, you know, that's a provocative position in the Democratic Party. But I think the Democratic Party, I don't think the party should be a big 10. I think the party should have a position. But I think it should have room for the sort of Robert Casey's of the world who, for political reasons or because they're Catholic beliefs or because they're Southern evangelicals, don't hold with the Democrats on the issue. I mean, in some ways, when you say, when Jacob, when you say we need to let pro-life Democrats um, campaign and and get funding in the South, it doesn't cost that much to let people be pro-life, right? Because they're not appointing Supreme Court judges and they can make a lot of noise about getting what parental consent and all other all kinds of things. It's like an affectation. I mean, it's like education. Like they can say what they want about education, but they can't do anything. I don't know. Dahlia's looking no, I'm, like I'm a little bit channeling Elise Hogue, who tweeted right after Alabama. She's like, you know, certainly Doug Jones had the opportunity and was urged to run as a uh, wishy-washy, and he ran as an explicitly pro-choice candidate and still managed. That was amazing uh, that to was win amazing. it. And so I think that a little bit belies, you know, the argument that we have to err on the side of of being welcoming. I mean, I, I think this is a really fraught moment for all the reasons, you know, we talked about at the beginning, which is I think this is the year of the women. I think that Webster's Dictionary named feminism as the word of the year. I think that, you know, when you look at all the studies about who's making all the phone calls to Congress and who's driving people to the polls, it is women. I mean, women. And so I just think and and uh, in my view, I think that it is very much a counter to the zeitgeist to start cabining uh, uh, women who are just furious. And I and I and one other thing, Jacob, that I, I think that you said that I think is such an interesting paradox, and maybe this is accidentally shanghaiing us back to our topic, but I, I do think that, you know, there is no political legal fix for Donald Trump, but there are political legal fixes for the other thousands of indignities mm. that women experience every day in their lives. And I think in a strange way, the fact that there's no process, you know, watching all these women sit there in this press conference and say, there's no process. I don't know what to do other than to be upset and hope somebody picks up the banner. Yeah. I think in a weird way, that's empowered us in all these other, you know, I, it's it, in a yep. million ways, it's the sort of weeds in the sidewalk now where women are like, if there is no process for that, there damn well better be a process for the fact that my state has an ultrasound requirement that right. is totally, you know, appalling or that my state is talking about a, a, a you know, six-week or 12-week or fetal pain bill. Right. I think that it's not nothing to say that this may not map on directly to the Roe v. Wade question. But I think in a strange way, it's a release valve yep. for all the stuff for which we have no process, if that makes any sense. I think, and that's... I, think you're, I think you're right. I mean, and that points to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, the remedy. The remedy is to really air this. Yeah. It's for these, for these women to be encouraged to tell their story and to hear the story for the sake of knowing the truth about what happened. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's likely a legal remedy while Trump is president. I certainly don't think it's an impeachable offense. I think the Democrats, if they take the House, will probably hold some kind of hearings, but I'm not sure that's even fully justified. But I think it would be justified in the sense of providing a venue for us to find out really what happened. Because, of course, you know, if we've heard about 15 or 17 or 19 mm-hmm. You can multiply that by five or ten in terms of what's really out there. I mean, think about it. I mean, you think about going up against someone as powerful and vicious and vindictive as Donald Trump. Yeah. I mean, 
it takes incredible bravery to, to challenge him, to tell the truth about him for someone who is relatively powerless. And there have to be, if there are that many women who are willing to do it, dozens and dozens and dozens who aren't. And they should be encouraged to tell their stories for the same reason everyone else is telling their stories right mm-hmm. now and to join the Me Too movement. But I think maybe we just need to move away from thinking and there will be a remedy that will be a happy ending where he'll be removed. Although I, I will say this because I'm obsessed. I know this is my my obsession is uh, Anita Hill. What's different? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think what an extraordinary thing, the difference between zero women on the Judiciary Committee during the uh, Clarence Thomas yeah. hearings and today when you have Amy Klobuchar Kirsten Gillibrand, you know, you have this. It's not parody. It's yeah. not even close to parody. But the difference between zero women and three yes. women, and I always say this at the Supreme Court, too, the zif- difference between one woman, when it's yes. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and three women, that's night and day. Yeah. And it a little bit makes you think, man, if there were parody, like, yeah. it would be, like, awesome. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, But yeah, I do yeah, yeah. think that we make the mistake of thinking that because we're not represented in anything proportional to what we are, are, you know, in the media and in, you know, elected office and at the courts that we're somehow this feels insurmountable. And I think sometimes two and three women is a huge, huge lever that I don't know if we've ever done this, you know, to have yeah. Jody Cantor, to have, you know, serious women. Well, Megyn Kelly, Gretchen serious, Carlson, yeah. who are really, yeah. really, I mean, Megyn Kelly's interview, I recommend to everyone um, on CNN with some of these accusers was just really, really amazing. I mean, she succinctly sums it up. She believes them, not in that way of I'm weighing the evidence and maybe in neutral, whatever. She believes them just like uh, they're self-evident. So once they, like, he's, she starts saying, you know, because she's been attacked by Donald Trump this way. So she's, you know, and they're just sit, all sitting together comparing notes on this thing as though it's absolutely true. And so last question. I mean, Jacob, you're a man. So you, <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's give Donald Trump a hearing in this. I think he has said, because we don't want to be unfair to him, he has said he, <laughs> n- quote, never met these women. That might not be verbatim, but something like that. He never met them. They're all strangers to him. Um, and then photos were produced of him with them, probably photoshopped. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about right, the president's well, deni- very convincing for, denial? For my team, for the patriarchy. Yes. No, I mean, um, you know, this was the Roy Moore approach, too, which is just like just brazen denial of everything. And Trump pointed to that and said, well, he denies it. So I think in what he's going on, what's going on in his head is in part, I give my supporters the ability to say I deny it and not enter into the next stage discussion as well. It's not true. Um, But it's so preposterous when you get into these numbers and the fact that these women have absolutely no motivation you know, there's nothing coming to them by making these accusations. Um, I mean, the, the the possibility that we're dealing with 15 or 17 women he's never met is, you know, appro- you know, approaches mathematical zero. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, I I think it's just what it what it points to is Trump's absolute inability to tell the difference between truth and lies and his willingness to just lie 100 percent about everything all the time and then his attributing to other people what he does Mm -hmm. so he says they're lying and all that means is that he's lying well that's a perfect place to end um on this the self-reflective patriarchy um jacob thank you (laughs) and um and dahlia thank you it's so much fun to be in a room with you too thank you happy i could be the man today (laughs) (laughs) we'll let you be the man today (laughs) 
That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. We exist on Twitter at RealTrumpcast. That's at RealTrumpcast. So follow us. Chag Sameach, everyone. Thank you for listening to Trumpcast. <laughs>